Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Um, first of all, if you're watching us online, I apologize. Last week, uh, there was some, what do you call it, jitter, some problems, and it was, it was basically an internet issue. It wasn't with our equipment or anything like that. Um, Lord knows we've, we've got some really nice equipment now with everything. So um, we are still, I will tell you, for those of you that are still watching and uh, watching online, we still have not upgraded our internet here. Um, that's going to take about a month to two months to get a, a really, a lot of bandwidth uh, brought in. So we're in the midst of investigating that and probably end up uh, working with uh, Metronet, uh, who can give us the best uh, internet speed. So that's kind of the next piece of the puzzle. A um, couple things real quick uh, for those of you that are joining us here on, on Sunday morning for Bible class or if you're considering coming to join us, for now, just bring your own goodies, and if the ladies want to bake something and set it out, that's fine. Um, just use your best judgment. We, we have decided just administratively we're not going to put out any food from our kitchen here, at least for the time being, for the next month or two, okay? So um, go down to Jack's and get your own donuts or bring your own monkey bread or whatever you want. Um, and if you have any questions about that, our head elder, Steve Oatman, will gladly take any of your questions. <laughs> we will provide coffee, though, because everybody knows coffee is sacramental in a Lutheran church. <laughs> Just joking. Don't quote me on that. Okay. All right. Before we get started uh, today, um, and you should have had the email announcements on Friday. If you're not getting emails, please contact Juanita in the church office. It means that she does not have your current email address. So we do send out a weekly announcements uh, every day on Friday uh, that includes updates and what's going on. So if you're not getting that, she doesn't have your email address, okay? Um, or if she does, you might want to check your spam folder. That comes through MailChimp is the name of our uh, um, server, our uh, email server and provider. So she'll get you all straightened out on that, okay? Uh, before we begin with Bible class today, we've got uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Steve Voteman, our head elder, asked for a couple minutes of time. So I'm going to invite him forward. You got a mic already, sir? I do. All right. Good morning, everyone. Stand behind the podium. All right. I guess this is what a head elder has to do when your senior pastor tells you exactly what to do and where to stand. So uh, thank you uh, for joining us this morning for a Bible study. Uh, I wanted to take just a, a couple minutes to do a little bit of a recognition. Um, my children know this well, and those of us who have the, the joy of serving here at Advent know at times, and especially perhaps parents of confirmation students, it, it's not a doctrine, but sometimes we call it Lutheran conscription. You know, to be conscripted means to be called into duty. So case in point, when we don't say have an acolyte or a crucifer, I may look over at my children and give them the nod, which usually results back perhaps in one brief moment of an eye roll, and then they know it's their job to go get robed up. Uh, so there's another avenue of this, however, and what's wonderful to see, and I would encourage you all, if, if uh, somewhere on your horizon you would like to join one of our boards, serving here at Advent uh, actually affords us the opportunity to, to take a look at some wonderful individuals who take their time and talents and give it back to us as congregational members. And what's even more wonderful to see is when that actually comes from our youth. So I want to take you back just in time, just very, very briefly, to a time where one of the most difficult decisions we had to make was around the Ides of March, 
where we knew that the virus was upon us and we knew we were going to have to take some steps for safety. And we quickly pivoted into then figuring out how can we bring the Word of God to those of us when we knew that quarantine was on the horizon, and how do we be able to stream then, which is one of our long-term goals uh, for our, our worship for shut-ins and others. And uh, for those months, roughly, roughly from the end of March through April through May into June, one of Advent's very own youth I don't think was necessarily conscripted. Uh, this individual, from what we have talked and, and known about, actually stepped forward and spent a significant amount of his time uh, working with many here, and this is something that we did in council this past month. So I have a little bit of a, of a gift of recognition for our very own Matthias McKay, who spent a lot of his time here in working with and uh, from the time of purchasing various sets of cameras, installation, new software, to be able to bring God's word to those of us who were at home and stu who still to this day may remain at home. And as an elder in having talked with many of you, and we do keep in contact and you have talked back with us, it has been wonderful to hear the thanks that has come back to us for being able to bring God's word uh, to those of us at Advent who remain at home. So, Matthias, if you would just come up here very, very briefly, because I have a little envelope for you. You don't need to open it here. But on behalf of council and the elders, we just wanted to say thank you on behalf of our congregation for your efforts during that time. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Uh, oh, one other thing before we get started. Um, so, September 13th, as of right now, is our kind of back-to-school, fall, startup, spring rally day, all that stuff, as long as everything kind of stays as is. So September 13th, right now, we're going to start having Sunday school classes again. Um, I would imagine uh, this room, it's good to see so many of you here. Uh, for some of you that are, no, that are new, normally this room is like standing room only for, for Bible class, and it's just a hub of people everywhere. Um, and so I don't think we're going to get back to that anytime soon, but, um, you know, in, in a couple of months, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be at a place where, where uh, people are a little more comfortable and, and we're going to continue to ask you to social distance and just, just be safe. Uh, but September 13th is our startup date, and I am pleased to announce that uh, we have a new Sunday school curriculum, um, and uh, we, we appreciate our Sunday school superintendent, Amanda Probst, uh, we also have a new Sunday school uh, a, a superintendent, a co-superintendent, Amanda uh, Morris uh, has, has stepped down, did I say her name right? And uh, Ann Mundrick is going to be helping you with superintendent duties. And uh, so they've got a new Sunday school curriculum, uh, uh, which is produced by CPH. It's called Enduring Faith, really good. It's kind of like a three-year curriculum. And what I'm really excited about is not only are we going to continue our tradition of having good catechesis, good Sunday school for our children, we also, drum roll please, we're going to have a high school class starting in the fall. Yay! That's awesome. And so uh, we haven't had a high school class uh, for a while, and uh, so we've got uh, two teachers lined up, Joel and Mary Davis. Uh, Joel does a lot of work actually with uh, the, uh, is Joel here? Is, uh, is he back there? Uh, the uh, what, what's the the the, uh, the Lutheran Nat? Thank you. I couldn't. I just couldn't put the phrase together. National Youth Gathering, and and not just Joel, but Mary, you've been helping out with that as well. 
And uh, so they, they have a, a love for our youth and, uh, and uh, really excited. So that's Joel and Mary, for those of you that don't know them. Uh, they're going to be uh, teaching on Sunday morning. Um, there will be some Sundays, of course, that they won't be able to be here. So we are looking for a few other parents or volunteers. Our goal with the youth program is just to slowly get a group of leaders that will uh, 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 help and be there for our youth. Uh, we obviously will continue to try and do a higher things trip, uh, but we'd like to do some more activities as well. And it's kind of a tough age. Um, and I've got, just came from a year where we had three kids in high school, and oh, I'm tired. <laughs> There's just a lot of activities going on, okay? So we, we want to provide some opportunities. We also, as a congregation, pull from just about all four corners of Indianapolis, uh, which means that most of our high school students do not go to high school together. Um, so uh, we'd like to, you know, not only do the Sunday morning Bible class, but maybe do kind of a once-a-month thing um, and some other activities. So keep that in your thoughts and prayers. If you're interested in serving or helping out in any way, um, we've got the curriculum, we'll train you, and high school kids don't bite, correct? Sometimes, okay. So, all right. Anything else I'm missing, announcement-wise, for some of the other leaders that are here? Mr. Phillips. Yes, we will be firing up confirmation class, which will start somewhere around there. So we will be in touch with you. Um, I'll go ahead and give you another tidbit. We, we actually are hoping to start a short Wednesday church service. We know that weekends are tough for some people. And so we are in the initial planning stages of doing uh, a 20 to 30-minute Vespers evening prayer service on Wednesday um, that'll be before, during, or after confirmation classes. So as of right now, the plan is still to keep confirmation classes on Wednesday, um, and there'll be some communication coming from Pastor Grady to you as parents, kind of asking, you know, what works best. And to be honest, I'm not sure what works best because everybody's got a crazy schedule. So uh, we as pastors are willing to, you know, even if we need to do a couple different times or entertain something different, we're ready for that, okay? We also will start talking um, in the past. Boy, Mr. Boatman, am I going too far with this? I don't think I am. We, we've talked about First Communion, uh, which is that when a child knows the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, when they're able to examine themselves, recognize their sin, and desire the Lord's Supper when they're at that point, there's no reason to make them wait <laughs> one, two, three, four years to take the Lord's Supper until their eighth grade. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt not take communion until thou passest eighth grade. doesn't say that anyway. So it's, it's all about faith. Uh, so uh, confirmation is an important process, and we want to keep that. Um, and so we're going to do a little more study on that. Um, and th this is something we've, we've studied in Bible class. Elders have studied it. And I think we're really close to kind of putting together an option for parents that want to do that. Uh, not going to be for everybody, and that's okay. Basically what it means is the parents need to do some teaching at home and need to know what their kids know and what they believe. And then they, parents bring their kids to us for examination. And then we grill them. We scare them. No, we don't do that. We just find out whether <laughs> where they're at with their knowledge and their faith and, uh, and, and then go from there. Okay? So any questions or comments on that? Ah, you guys are easy. I like it. All right. Pastor Grady, as I mentioned, uh, for early service folks, is on vacation with his family. Uh, they were supposed to go to Florida. 
<laughs> they did not. <laughs> they went to Colorado. Uh, so they're uh, uh, sequestering somewhere up in the mountains, I think Durango area, enjoying the fresh mountain air. Uh, he'll be back this following Saturday. Uh, my family and I will leave later this afternoon. We're going to sequester on the beach uh, at Hilton Head and, uh, and hang out there for the next five days, and we'll be back on Saturday as well. So uh, Pastor uh, Reverend Walt Allman, uh, who uh, graciously assisted this morning and will assist at late service, is on call during the week. Um, and uh, so if you need anything, we're reachable by phone, by the way. So, And I'm sorry it worked out that both of us ended up being gone, but with kids in school and schedules, it was just the only week that worked. So, Because next week is pretty much back to school for teachers and, and that. Okay. Anything else? No questions? Good, good? Okay. Let's begin. The Lord be with you. Lord of all power and might, author and giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of your great mercy keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We are finishing up Professor Marquardt. He now rests from his labors uh, with uh, Jesus and the saints above. Um, his book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People, we're in the last chapter, which is Why Christianity, Faith, Facts, and Reason. And so we're, this is a kind of a good fitting in to our uh, discussion of, of doctrine uh, in terms of what does God say? What does the Bible say? And we're on page 168 if you have the book. And this uh, next section is called Escape into Mush. Here we go. If bioinformation makes such a telling point against atheism, why then are not more people convinced by it? The short answer is that the emotional case for atheism simply swamps the intellectual case against it. Okay? Um, there's, I forget the name of the, the guy. He's, he's a Baptist preacher. I've used a few of his videos for confirmation in the past. He goes around and he interviews people. Um, he's a compatriot of Ken Ham. And he goes on college campuses. He's got, uh, is he Australian or something? Anyway, um, and, and, and one, of his, one of his main points, uh, and I wish I could think of his name, is that it takes more faith. It takes a greater amount of faith to believe uh, <laughs> in evolution, okay? Or even in terms of atheism, it takes more faith than it does to believe what we as Christians would believe. And then he proceeds to kind of outline that, and that, that's one of his, his, his arguments uh, throughout his interviews. And, and I think it's a very for, fair point, and, and Marquardt wrote this way before this guy started doing his stuff. That's basically what Marquardt is saying too. So there is a strong belief today, shared by both Christians and non-Christians, that the existence of God cannot be proved because it is a matter of faith. Now maybe you've said that, or fallen into kind of that statement as you've talked with other people uh, who are non-believers, okay? Uh, yeah, I agree with you that we can't prove the existence of God, okay? Uh, now, pay attention to where Marquardt goes with this. And faith rests on things other than facts or proof. Now, this scheme amounts to a sort of uh, amiable, no-fault divorce between believers and unbelievers, Okay? So you may not like where Marquardt's going to go on this point, but I think he's making a very valid and important point. Believers are free to indulge their itch to believe without worrying about intellectual attacks upon it. 
while unbelievers can cheerfully ignore religion as an emotional refuge for the tender-minded. Best of all, both parties can continue happily in the same lodges, country clubs, and PTAs without unseemly bouts of divisiveness. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you a little bit of story uh, just from, from my family. I've shared some things in the past. My, my grandfather, uh, where I got my last name, McKay, Mackay, which is Scottish, uh, was, was basically raised um, uh, Christian science, uh, San Francisco. And uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom, whose last name was Peepenbrink, uh, from uh, southwestern Missouri, uh, decided to spread her wings when she was about 17 or 18 years of age and go to California. And so she did. She went to California. She was kind of, my grandma was kind of the wild child of the family and uh, went to California. And uh, she ended up uh, basically running a coffee shop. Uh, uh, and I, I forget the name of this, this big hotel um, and uh, long story short, that's where she met my uh, grandfather. He would come in for coffee, and, uh, and she pretty much, as they started to court, um, you know, said, I'm a Lutheran. If you're interested in me, you need to come to church with me. And so he did. He went through catechism classes. He ended up singing in the choir, right, got really involved. Uh, God blessed them with uh, three children, and, uh, and then when my dad was eight years old, he came home one day and he said, Honey, um, I'm packing a bag and I'm leaving. Um, I'm a homosexual. And I no longer believe the same things that uh, you believe. And he left my, my grandma with uh, three small kids and a fourth kid who was actually the uh, orphan child of uh, my grandpa's brother, who was killed in World War II uh, on D-Day, and um, uh, just left her hanging, okay? Not a good thing to do, okay? Um, and so that was tough. So the, the, the funny thing within my family is listening to my dad talk about his dad, because he has some earlier memories, but then the later memories aren't very good, okay? Um, to my grandpa's credit, he tried to stay in touch, and when he was a little older, actually, you know, would come and would visit the kids and do that. He was never much of a support system. Let's not go down that road. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that my dad had issue with, his father, was not just that he failed in his fatherly duties, left them high and dry, but how he could go from being a Christian to being a non-Christian. Christian science is not Christian, by the way, okay, um, and, and how he could do that, okay. And so they had some interesting discussions which resulted in my uh, aunt and, and uncle, my, my uncle now, uh, rest from his labors. Uh, the nickname they came up with for my dad was the Pope <laughs> because it was my dad who would always you know, just kind of argue scripture and that sort of thing. He was always, this is what needs to be done, and my uh, my my uncle, uh, God rest his soul, uh, was uh, was just much more kind of laid back uh, about those things, and um, and I remember, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I remember having a couple conversations because my my grandfather died when I was I would have been in high school, and so I was fortunate at least to meet him three, four, or five times. And I remember the last couple of times, um, 
he, he, he asked me, you know, do you, do you have any questions about anything? Well, I mean, I'm his grandson, you know, and, you know, why are you such a blah, 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 why did you, you know, um, but I decided to just kind of ask on the faith side of things, right? You know, how is it that you, because I couldn't fathom that. I mean, I've been raised in the church, um, and, and obviously as I've gotten older and studied, uh, you know, I, I've, I've claimed, you know, this, our confession as my own, but, but how, could you, how could you leave the church? How could you reject Christ and, and pursue just the, the reason and, and some of the, 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 the science? Because Christian science is not even truly science, but that's another discussion. And, um, and he said, well, um, you know, uh, you, nothing can be proved. Nothing can really be proved. Um, and so, you know, for you as a Lutheran Christian... He goes, you know, your faith rests, and, and he, he recognized it, your faith rests on that, on the Bible. He goes, my faith doesn't rest on the Bible. You know, I don't, I don't believe necessarily that all the Bible is truly God's Word. Some of it might be, you know, but he, he recognized at least that what we believe is what we believe, that Scripture is God's inspired inerrant Word. And when you get off that track, then you're left with, what is real? Then you're back into the, the whole, <laughs> and this goes all the way back, you know, when we start talking about philosophy and, and Plato and Aristotle, what is real and what is not? What has substance and what does not? You know, you got the shadowy world and, and then the real world, and, and so you end up going down this path that really, it doesn't lead you anywhere, Okay. Um, so, so listen to Marquardt here as he, as he starts to flesh some of this out. Convenient as this arrangement no doubt is, right, so for believers and unbelievers to just kind of, you know, coexist, which to be fair, I mean, we do. It's in your workplace, okay? Um, you know, um, I had, uh, had, a, had a, a, a golf tournament yesterday morning and, and, and met uh, a couple of interesting people that I'd never met before. And, uh, and, and, of course, the question always comes up, what do you do? And very seldom do I, like, tell people. My job on the golf course is not to be an evangelist, by the way. I'm there to play golf. But if somebody asks me, what do you do, I'm not going to lie. And so somebody said, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh. Well, the funny thing is their mouth stops working the rest of the round, okay? And then they start apologizing for every bad word that comes out of their mouth. I'm like... This is why I don't tell people I'm a pastor. I mean, say what you want. I'm here to play golf, you know. And, and, um, and so met, met a couple of guys, and, and it always ends up being the topic of religion. I mean, just kind of, of, oh, this is what I used to do. And I met a guy who used to be Missouri Synod Lutheran, you know, and now is not, and talked kind of about how, you know, he's just, he's just kind of a Christian now. And uh, I had a really good round going until he started that conversation. I was playing really well. And then he started talking, you know, and it was, it, was, it was just all of this. Well, we as Christians, we should all just get along. And it doesn't really, you don't have to kind of, you know, believe this and believe that, you know. And, and I need you to make sure you understand that being a Christian should always acknowledge exclusivity where God says so. Okay? So being a Christian in and of itself and this is the exclusive problem that people have with Christianity. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. 
and yet you're surrounded by spiritual or religious people, or maybe you've fallen into this, this boat, okay? You know, well, Jews pray to God, Muslims pray to God, Mormons pray to God, Jehovah's Witnesses pray to God. We all believe in the same God. And the answer is, no, we actually don't, okay? Because then it's a matter of who is Jesus, okay? Now, to be fair, and Mr. Future Constitutional Lawyer Judge, we live in a country that guarantees freedom of religion. And thanks be to God for that. Okay? But sometimes I think where, where we fail as Christians is to stand up in terms of, you know, this is what I believe based on God's word. This is what our church believes. And we fall into this kind of American constitutionalism of, it's okay, just believe whatever you want. Well, we do maintain there is actually truth and there is not truth, right? We believe that there is absolute truth, okay? And so that's a challenge for us to live in the world but not be of the world, okay? Questions or comments before I go on? Or you're just kind of like, oh, this is a little more than I was planning on thinking about on Sunday morning. Okay, so convenient as this arrangement no doubt is, intellectually it makes for a muddle. First and contrary to a silly judicial doctrine, philosophical argument about God and religious faith in him are two quite different things. Second, faith needs stronger foundations than the probabilities of science, not weaker ones. Third, in the realm of probable statistical argument, the existence of God is not a matter of faith but of proof. This is what Mortimer Adler meant by his insistence on a purely pagan or philosophical way of thinking and talking about God, right? And this is why this, this we're going to start it back up again. We start our men's steak night, um, and, and men, we're going to get it going again here um, now that, that things are, are you know, hopefully slowing down. But we started doing kind of an apologetics course, right? And apologetics, if you're not familiar with that term, doesn't mean, oh, I'm sorry for what I believe. Apologetics means a defense, it means being able to say, this is what I believe and why I believe it. And Lutheran Hour Ministries actually put out a, a really good program uh, with the help of a couple of our seminary professors on talking about uh, the Christian faith, the exclusivity of Christian faith, uh, how we examine some of these things. And so we, we, we started going you know, down that road in that study. And we're going to pick that back up, man. Just, just wait for it. Um, because... The first thing that we studied, if you remember, was what? For those of you men that were at the first steak night, let me make this point. What was the, what was the first lesson that we studied? Do you remember? Chief, you were here for that. Oh, you missed the first one. Oh, didn't mean to call you out on that. I know you were. All right. <laughs> the first one was, how did we get the Bible? How did we get it? Right? And then we looked at, do you remember what we looked at? We looked at the fact that we have factual, archaeological, scientific, we have proof of Scripture. Okay? Did you know there's been more manuscripts found of the Bible than any other ancient document? Did you know that? And you can talk to people about this. Okay? Next, next to the Bible, the, the two closest documents we have in terms of um, uh, their, their age uh, would be, I, and I believe it's uh, uh, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, but there's only a few hundred copies of those, okay? Google this afternoon if you want to have some fun. How many copies do we have have been found of the Bible over a certain time period at numbers in the tens of thousands without 
like a, only a 0.1% variation, okay? Which doesn't change the meaning of it. Most of it is just kind of grammar because things were copied and, and passed down, okay? And you look at every other document that historically has been passed down, not just amongst religion, but just in when you, when you study, you know, whether it's, it's, it's Western Civ or anything else, the Bible just blows everything else out of the water statistically. It's absolutely ridiculous, okay? So you need to be aware of some of that for when you talk with people. So does God give us some factual proof, some statistics that support Scripture not only being God's Word, but how miraculous that it's been passed down without error? Yes, He does, okay? Now, we certainly believe the Bible is God's Word, not because we've got 30,000 copies that are without error. We believe because Scripture says it is. We believe by faith. But we also don't ignore what God has given in terms of facts and that, right? It's like the coronavirus. Can you get it? Well, duh. Is it actually a virus? I mean, is it a real thing, I guess, is my question. I don't want to get into the whole, yeah. It's a real thing, okay? Can it affect you? Yes, it can, okay? Okay, now God says, you know, he, still, he still says, and I assume that's why you're here, he still says, don't give up meeting together. You don't come together. We know the divine service is, is, is sacramental. We also trust that our life is not only hidden with Christ, but we especially believe that our days are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you believe that? Or do you believe your days are written in your book? meaning you make your own book. So, so a Christian, you know, it's not that we ignore the science side of it. We, we, we take them both at the same time, right? So, so we don't want to be like that, that one church early on back in, where was it, down in Florida or somewhere down south where, where the pastor said, you know, not only are we not closing our doors, we're not practicing social distancing, and then they ended up having this huge outbreak, Right? Uh, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, there's still, still, still a virus, okay? Uh, so can you, can you get the virus from coming here, church? Yes, you can, okay? You can get it anywhere, okay? Uh, and the Lord promises he'll provide for you regardless. So, you know, we're still going to take uh, some precautions and do that sort of thing. But the main point here is that God gives reason, intellect, science, and facts at the same time that he gives his holy, divine and sacramental word, okay? So Christian lives now with, with all these things, okay? And then, you know, we don't, we don't fall on the other side of it. I'll tell you one last story. When I was down in Arkansas, I don't know if I mentioned this one to you, sweetie, okay? There was a small little church just outside of town, and they were big into snake handling. Have you heard of this? Yeah, where God says that, uh, uh, forget the passage in the New Testament, that, you know, snakes won't bite you or, or harm you. And so they would handle snakes during their service to show that they, as Christians and pastors, had power over all creatures. And the snakes wouldn't, wouldn't bite them and hurt them. Okay? And so, you know, this is part of the name it and claim it side of Christianity. Right? Uh, Jesus says, you know, I got the whole armor of God. Therefore, I can drive 90 miles an hour down the highway and I won't get in an accident. Right? <laughs> Or you fall into this other side of, you know, cheap grace. I can smoke as much dope as I want or drink as much liquor. You know, I've still got Jesus as my Savior, right? You know, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, uh, well, anyway, the pastor at this church, guess what happened? Take a wild guess. He got bit by a snake and died. Okay? And so 
then from talking with other people, well, his faith just wasn't that strong. We'll find a new preacher who's got stronger faith. Seriously, people? Just ridiculous. Okay, let's move on. Any comments or questions there? I, I really don't make this stuff up. This is, this, this is real. A good argument for God, oh wait, let me move, uh, yeah, more tomorrow. A good argument for God, said Adler, is logically just like an argument for the existence of subatomic particles, which also are known not by direct observation, but from traces or effects. It should be noted, too, that while this chapter has concentrated only on one single line of argument for the existence of God, such arguments may be framed quite apart from the whole Paley-Darwin business, which we covered earlier. In fact, this is what most modern framers of such arguments do. Okay? So we now come to the emotional attraction of atheism. atheism. Not long ago, two physicists were interviewed over a Chicago radio station. They gave fascinating accounts of the intricate structure of matter and of the universe. The host then asked the physicist whether in view of all this seemingly purposeful order, they believed in God. Right? Now, I'm getting ready to head, as I told you, Pastor Grady's out, you know, uh, he's, he's, he, there's someplace cooler than where we're going, honey, and they're in the mountains. Um, and, but when I've been out to Colorado or other places, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, nature testifies to, to the wonder of God and how any of that could just happen on its own or come together on its own um, just totally baffles me. You know, there is order in all of it, you know. You get up in the mountains, and I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, and you, you, you get above the, you know what the tree line is? You get above the tree line, okay? And the last time I was above the tree line, I think I actually got altitude sickness, but that's a whole other story, uh, and you don't want to hear about the effects of altitude sickness. It's not pretty. And um, uh, that was on our honeymoon. <laughs> oh, man. We had a good first couple of days, but... Uh, First, we thought it was the water we drank. But anyway, nature testifies to the, the amazing part of God. So, Lord willing, unless Jesus returns or God has other plans, I'll wake up tomorrow morning, you know, on the beach watching, you know, uh, the tide and the waves and the ocean, right? Wow. Um, amazing. And, and even just what you have here, when you, when you go home today, when you leave this place, you know, take a moment. We, we saw some, some birds I'd never seen before on the golf course the other day, and we just stopped in the middle of the round, and one guy said, oh, that's a, and I had no idea what it was. He was a birder. He goes, it's very rare. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Amazing. I mean, all the variety and how that all works together, right? It's kind of like how I was trying to convince my wife that bats are actually good, right? She saw a bat this last week. She does not like bats. Is she in here? Oh, there you are. Sorry, sweetie. You know, I was like, God, it's a good thing God made bats. That's part of the, the order and all that. She would like to get rid of bats. So you might have something you want to get rid of. Maybe it's snakes or whatever, okay? No, replied one of them. We do not believe in God because if we did, we should have to live very different lives. Now, to be fair, how refreshingly honest. Aldous Huxley put it like this, quote, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning, consequently assumed that it had none. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual, and political. And I hope you're taking some of this that you've been learning in this class and, and, and letting that help as you filter out some of what you hear on TV and read on your smart screens. Now, the tragic figure of Nietzsche is typical here. 
He lost his clergyman father at a tender age, right? So, so Nietzsche is the whole God is dead, um, you know, man is now Superman, uh, you know, pull yourself up, truth is completely relative, uh, okay? So, so Nietzsche is one of the modern framers of what we would call postmodernism, if you go in and study some of that. His dismal childhood then cramped his mind beneath the veneer of philosophy into a lifelong tantrum against God. In one revealing passage, Nietzsche, in, Nietzsche insists that, quote, the question of the mere truth of Christianity is secondary, right? It is Christian morality which must be fought tooth and nail as a capital crime against life. Now, to be fair, C.S. Lewis fell into that same trap in his late teenage, uh, early, you know, early adulthood years, Okay. Uh, but C.S. Lewis in, ended up not only coming back to the faith in which he was raised, but came back with a vengeance. And if you haven't read a lot of C.S. Lewis, I would strongly encourage you to do so. Okay? One of his books called Mere Christianity, very good. Favorite book uh, by him that I like is Surprised by Joy. Uh, Joy Davidson was his wife. Uh, they didn't get married until later. Um, and she ends up uh, you know, getting cancer and dying. And his book is about how God blessed him, not just in life, but also in the midst of her death. It's a really powerful book. Uh, of course, he wrote Tales of Narnia, okay, if you've never read those before. Uh, wrote some other um, kind of sci-fi series. I don't think they're quite as good, um, but uh, a lot of, lot, of, lot of good stuff there, okay? Uh, C.S. Uh, Lewis probably, I mean, in my opinion, would be top three, you know, top two maybe apologists, defenders of the Christian faith of the 20th century, um, okay? Um, unfortunately, not as sacramental or as Lutheran. I mean, he wasn't Lutheran, but uh, the, you know, you got to read into some of that, okay? Um, the, um, oh, I was just thinking the other, the other book that I, I, I keep in my office and read every now and then, The Screwtape Letters, okay? Uh, really good. Right about uh, you know one of the one of the uh, demons is 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 basically a, a salesman and uh, you know how how the devil gets in there to to sell uh, unbelief and uh, work against Christianity uh, really good really good okay all right um, Nietzsche also bitterly blamed Luther quote this calamity of a monk end quote for having quote restored the church and what is a thousand times worse Christianity at the very moment when it was vanquished. Okay. Now, that's interesting to hear Nietzsche say, you know, that right up to the time of the Reformation, the church at that point was pretty much vanquished, okay? that it was done. Right? Um, and you'll hear this and see this in other ways, too. The Mormons would claim that the church was dead, that God pretty much left the church. And it wasn't until the 1800s when, you know, God sent the angel Moroni to enable uh, 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 Joseph Smith to use some special scene stones to read uh, a long-lost uh, history of the Israelites, uh, ancient Israelite civilization that came across the land bridge and settled in upstate New York. And I think I jokingly said last week, you know, ask your Mormon friends when the archaeological digs are going to start uh, over in, in the east uh, for this ancient civilization that lived here. Because okay? it's never been done and you won't find it because it didn't happen. It's all made up. Um, and uh, and anyway, so um, you know, so they would claim that you know that whole uh, you know time uh, from the time Christ ascended, you know, really until the time of Joseph Smith, that the church was vanquished or dead. 
Nietzsche would put that right about the time of the Reformation. Okay. Um, defeated. Okay. No. Okay. Christianity at the very moment was vanquished. Defeated. That is by the noble paganism of the Renaissance, which quote had triumphed at the seat of the opposite values, even in the very instincts of those who were sitting there. Okay. Um, and I always forget how to pronounce this guy's name. Help me out here, a couple of our learned people. S A R T R E. Just Sartre? Yeah, I don't think that's it's the two consonants, is it? Sartre, too, clenching his little fist against God, was moved by something other than a syllogism. Marx, Lenin, and Stalin all were delighted to find in Darwin's origin of species a scientific excuse for their atheism. The real emotional appeal of atheism, however, lies at a still deeper, deeper level. To quote Nietzsche again, quote, I abhor Christianity with a deadly hatred because it created sublime words and gestures to throw over a horrible reality, the cloak of justice, virtue, and divinity, end quote. And perhaps no one has put the matter more poignantly from a Christian point of view than John Henry Newman. While admitting the intellectual force of the arguments for God's existence, Newman remarked, quote, but these do not warm me or enlighten me. They do not take away the winter of my desolation. The sight of the world is nothing else than the prophet's scroll full of lamentations and mourning and woe. And his description is worth citing in full. To consider the world in its length and breadth, its various history, the many races of man, their starts, their fortunes, their mutual alienation, their conflicts, and then their ways, habits, governments, forms of worship, their enterprises, their aimless courses, their random achievements and acquirements, the impotent conclusion of long-standing facts, the tokens so faint and broken of a superintending design, the blind evolution of what turn out to be great powers or truths, the progress of things as if from unreasoning elements, not towards final causes, the greatness and littleness of man, his far-reaching aims, his short duration. I know his English teacher would go nuts over the run-on sentence, right? Uh, the current, the curtain hung over his futurity, the disappointments of life, the defeat of good, the success of evil, physical pain, mental anguish, the prevalence and intensity of sin, the pervading idolatries, the corruptions, the dreary, hopeless irreligion, that condition of the whole race, so fearfully yet exactly described in the apostles' words, quote, having no hope and without God in the world, end quote. All this is a vision to dizzy and appall, and inflicts upon the mind the sense of a profound mystery, which is absolutely beyond human solution. So we come face to face with the, quote, heart-piercing, reason-bewildering problem of evil. Look at the teeming, bustling vitality of our world, and finding there no reflection of its creator, says Newman, is like looking into a mirror and not seeing one's face. Something is very wrong. Quote, I can only answer that either there is no creator or this living society of man is in a true sense discarded from his presence. Therefore, he continues, if there be a God, since there is a God, the human race is implicated in some terrible aboriginal calamity. It is out of joint with the purposes of its creator. This is a fact, a fact as true as the fact of its existence, and thus the doctrine of what is theologically called original sin becomes to me almost as certain as that the world exists and as the existence of God. Okay, now hopefully you're able to wade through all that and see 
how Newman, in looking at all of that, arrived at his conclusion. Now, this baffling problem of evil was, of course, recognized long before Newman. Psalm uh, 37 and 73, for instance, uh, already address it. Luther saw that common sense is up against the radical dilemma, and Luther wrote this. Either that there is no God or that God is unjust. As Ovid says, oft I am moved to think there are no gods. For look at the prosperity the wicked enjoy and the adversity the good endure, right? You fall into that trap before? Oh, look at so-and-so who's done all these things and Man, they got the best job, they drive the best cars, they got the house, they've made all the money, you know. And over here, my whole life has been a struggle, right? Woe is me, or God is unfair, okay? Uh, Note how both Proverbs and that parent of Proverbs, experience, testify that the bigger the scoundrel, the greater his luck. We're almost done here for today. All the furies, furies of modern unbelief are matched and checkmated in Luther's terrible pronouncement that in our sort of world, quote, before God can be God, he must first appear to be the devil, end quote. Luther saw more clearly here than Paley. Paley wanted nurture to show not only that God exists, but also that he is good and kind. This linking of two quite different questions later proved faithful. When the Victorian optimism that, quote, God's in heaven... Uh, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world, okay, uh, uh, that would be uh, Elizabeth Browning, correct, collapsed until the horrors of World War I, many people thought atheism the only honest alternative left. What they did not see, and perhaps could not, was that the God who perished in the flames of Europe's self-destruction was not the living God of the prophets and apostles. No, this, quote, deity had been a sentimental fraud made up by two centuries of liberal German theology. Malcolm Muggeridge once, uh, uh, once called this God an empty skin stuffed with Freudian entrails. <laughs> I like that one. This, well, I don't like it. It's just good. This cosmic Santa Claus was incapable of judgment, wrath, or punishment. His chief duty was the maintenance of decent levels of jollity for all. The Great War proved this God's incompetence or his gross dereliction of duty, and so he was dismissed by a dissatisfied electorate. Okay? We're going to stop there for today, but you can kind of see both sides of this. If you're a movie watcher, watch 1917, okay? And then you recommended a movie, Chief Phillips, last week, uh, uh, Greyhound, okay, which the family and I watched, okay? Both war movies, okay? Um, uh, I'm going to warn you, 1917 is far more graphic and uh, more might be difficult. You know, I would not advise it for younger kids. Shows a little more blood and that sort of thing. Greyhound, not so much. Um, but uh, both, of, one about World War I, one about World War II, okay? Both of them examine, from a cultural perspective, the challenges, difficulties, and realities of war, okay? However, one goes a different direction with the main character than the other one, Okay? And, 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 and that's why, uh, well, <laughs> when I watch movies, I'm always looking for how is this movie producer, how is this indicative of what culture is believing, um, you know, where's God in the midst of all this, if God is even there, okay? And ultimately, if there is no God, someone else steps in to fill his shoes, which would be an idol, 
okay? So always seek to kind of identify that because the devil is trying to teach you one thing uh, or the other, okay? That's enough for today. I wish we had more time because he's, he's kind of getting, he's making some really good points. So I know this is a little deep at this point. Hopefully you're following along. Email me if you have questions, and when I get back next week, I'll respond to them. <laughs> Give me a week, okay? Anything else? Oh, well, thank you. Will do. Will do. Good deal. Yeah, I got a couple of uh, John uh, Higgins books. I've been reading through the series for, for five years. <laughs> I read a book or two on vacation, so. My wife went to the library. What number are you on? Like, I don't remember. Huggins or Higgins? No, Higgins was the guy in Magnum P.I. Oh, it is Higgins. Oh, he does have the same name as that guy from Magnum P.I. Okay. All right, any other questions? One more. Yes, John? Oh, uh, the two movies I mentioned, Greyhound is available for free through Apple TV, which would be online, and you can do a free thing for that, otherwise I think it's five bucks per month, and nobody's paying me to say this, by the way, it's just what it is, and 1917, seems like it was, I think we had to rent that one, I think we had to rent it through one of our smart TV apps, Fandang, I don't know, five, six bucks or something. Okay, anything else? Okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Thanks for your attention today. Please continue to be safe. Keep you all in my prayers. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Hold on one second. Email me some suggestions, because we're going to finish up this Bible study in a couple weeks. And uh, I'll be looking to start a new topic or study. So if you have some suggestions, please email those or text those to me. That's all. Bye-bye.